Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome into the Winner's Circle Network, and this is Center Court. I'm Mac McDonald. Ralph Sampson is here. Great to have you. Ralph, this is uh, it's going to be a special day because of the story. And before we officially introduce the Warren Moon, the number one, I wish I would have had my number <laughs> one jersey. And, and I do know a little bit, but how did you and Warren become such good friends? And I know you were in Houston right about the same time, right? Yeah, Max. So, yeah, Warren Moon, I mean, what a, uh, a remarkable guy, quarterback in the NFL, had, had a, a rifle arm, right? And could throw the ball a mile. But I get drafted in 1983 to the Houston Rockets. And Warren Moon leaves the Canadian League to come down to play for the Oilers as the pick and their new quarterback. So I'm the guy in basketball. He's the guy in football. Uh, the only similarities were that we both teams were bad. You know, <laughs> both teams couldn't win. So it was kind of crazy to feel that way. But anyway, we, we built, built an early relationship. And obviously, uh, over the number of years there, and, you know, he plays there. He does extremely well. I play, do we do well. Then I get traded. He gets traded. But uh, – you know, it was a great time for me to be in Houston when we got two guys coming in. It's changed the direction of both the NFL and the NBA, the Oilers and the Rockets franchise. His journey is amazing, which we will talk about um, even in junior high because he was such a leader. They called him Pops. And, you know, he, the 78 Rose Bowl against Michigan, uh, he was playing for Washington because he was in Seattle. And they were they weren't that good, but they beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Warren Moon was the MVP. And, you know, he just and then, of course, got told uh, there were agents and there were people saying you will not be a quarterback in the NFL. And they they were trying to right, draft right. him with, in another position. Well, he said, to heck with that. I'm going to Canada. I'm, I'm going to Edmonton. This is where I'm going to play. And like five consecutive Grey Cups later, <laughs> I yeah, mean, exactly. it was just, consecutive. He, yeah, he he just kept winning and winning and winning, and he became a 27 year old rookie with the Houston Oilers. He goes to Seattle to hold a press conference, and Seattle thinks that you know their college guy is coming back to Seattle, but it didn't happen. He ends up in uh, he ends up in Houston, and of course the rest is history. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 06. He was the first black quarterback and the first undrafted quarterback to receive the honor at that time, which is oh. which is nuts. And this is after 10 years with the Oilers. He had uh, brief stints with the Vikings, Seahawks, and Chiefs, and then he retired in 2000. But um, yeah, it's like got, even, even the likes of like a, a Doug Williams that, that played in Washington. They more was one of the first iconic. American uh, yes. quarterback in, in the NFL, and I'm sure it's hard. Think about it, Mac. I I'm playing quarterback. I want to play quarterback, but you don't want me to play quarterback, right? Uh, and right. In that era, it was crazy. It was crazy yeah, crazy. yeah. We don't we don't feel that. And of course, when he had a couple of after he gets out of junior college and goes to Washington, he struggles a little bit, and I mean it becomes a, a racial you know a racial war. And, and, you know, he's getting called names and everything and had to, you know, had to go with that. But over his 17 
National Football League seasons. He was named to nine Pro Bowls, first team All-Pro in 1990, and he had seven playoff appearances. The record speaks for itself. With all those numbers, his heart and this journey, Ralph, is about as special as it, as it gets. It's really big because, you know, the, the, the football stands for itself. You can't take that away. But the, the guy I know off the field uh, is even today more amazing. So I want to get into that as well when we get him on here. But it's going to be a fun interview. So you got to stay tuned for sure. Yeah, can't wait. Either call him Daddy Warren, the trigger, <laughs> or Pops. But you could call him number one. That's exactly right. We'll go to break. We'll come back. It's Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. Our guest today, the one, the only. Warren Moon, and we'll be back right after this. Hi, this is Mac McDonald, host of Center Court. I've known Ralph Sampson for over 40 years. I watched him grow as a basketball player, achieving greatness at the University of Virginia and at the professional level. I always admired his work ethic and the things he did to be the best. Since he founded the Sampson Family Foundation, so many people, young and old, have benefited from Ralph's efforts. The mission for the foundation is simple, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. The foundation promotes charitable and community input, educational development, health and fitness, and scholarship opportunities. The Samson Family Foundation's initiatives focus on patients with cancer, educational scholarship programs, and give students guidance in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. If you'd like to learn more, call 540-615-5097. The website is Samson Family Foundation. Dot org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. John Elway was pretty physically talented during the time that I played. You look now at, at Patrick Mahomes. I mean, as physically talented as he is, also Aaron Rodgers. Th- those guys that I just named are pretty much in that same class where they can throw the ball from any angle, any platform. Feet don't have to be together. One of them threw the ball with his left hand in a game and then completed one. So that tells you how talented those guys are. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome into Center Court and the Winter Circle Network. And Ralph, I'm going to let you do honors. We have as our guest Warren Moon, the only player inducted to both the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. And I know you guys had a very special relationship because, yeah, you spent some time in Houston together. Ralph? I mean, and I was telling one, I was telling Mac, we, we go way back to our Houston days. So we got there together. He was with the, the Oilers and I came with the Rockets. But that, that was a good time. So thanks for joining us. And uh, I kind of look forward. We just kind of opened it up, have a dialogue, have a conversation, have some fun. But uh, I was telling Mac, your history, obviously, and the Canadian and the NFL and Retired at 44. I mean, you, you like Tom, you was Tom Brady's age. You know, you could still play. I'm, I was the black Tom Brady back in the day. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I remember coming to Houston because we were both, uh, you know, pretty uh, high sought after. Uh, we were both trying to turn around two losing franchises. I think the Oilers were like uh, two and 14 the year before I got there. And uh, the, the, uh, Rockets had probably won maybe what twenty games before you got there or something like that. Something so like that. If that we, were, yep. we were both brought in to kind of turn everything around. So uh, we had a lot in common that way, and we became friends. And uh, and the rest is history. Uh, you went off to have an outstanding NBA career, and uh, I was able to do the same thing with the with the uh, Houston Oilers, turn that thing around, and get us on a winning track. So. It was a great time to be in Houston. It was some tough days in the beginning because, you know, people expect a lot out of you when you when you come in there. You're going to make a lot of money, and and uh, they want 
instant results, but uh, it took a little while for both of us, but we got it turned around. Yeah, it was fun. I was telling them not only just the uh, the playing aspect, but, you know, having the city and hanging out a little bit, you know, a meeting and, and you know, it was fun because I go back to, you know, I was telling some people the other day, going back to hanging out with uh, Kurt Whalen. Yeah. In, the, uh, in the West End up at the bar hangout. We all, he was just starting his career. We were just starting our there. So uh, I talked to him every now and then as well. But it was a good time for me, and I'm sure it was for you as well. But I go back to, to Mac, and we'll get into this as well. So, and I just thought about it. You know, the, one of the first really exceptional African-American quarterbacks in NFL history, right? So between Doug Williams, you, and a couple other women. But, you know, it's not like that today, obviously. But Everybody always asks me, you know, could I play in the day's NBA? And I say, yeah, I could play. They couldn't play in our league, but I could play in theirs. I'm sure you could play today in the league that's there because, like, I was looking at, like, the Washington team and the quarterback, and 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 they don't want to get somebody else in there. They just want to get a rookie, right? What do you think about the league football today, NFL-wise? And I'm sure you would say you can play it because you had, you had a, you know, a rifle arm and, you know, had, had, you had to have good receivers to catch your passes because they were like spirals, right? <laughs> well, you know, today's football is geared around the quarterback. They've kind of changed the rules to, to make the quarterback the, uh, the focal point and, and make the passing game the focal point. So you, you see quarterbacks now throwing the ball for 4,500 to 5,000 yards every year. Where back when I played, if you threw for 4,000 yards, it was like, you know, a great year. And, uh, these receivers are catching, you know, anywhere from 90 to 120 passes a year. Um, the way the way the game has changed, as far as how physical it is, you can't touch the quarterback hardly anymore. In my day, you could hit us anywhere in the <laughs> head, you could hit us in the ribs, you could hit us in the knees, you could hit us anywhere. Now, today, players get fined for hitting a quarterback low or hitting him in the head or whatever. So that part of it has changed, and then. In the secondary, the receivers can just run free through the secondary. You can't bump them after five yards. And these guys are big. They're like 6'3", 6'4", 220 pounds running through the secondary and can't be touched. And they've taken away the big hits as far as uh, being able to intimidate a guy. So it's definitely a different league. And uh, it's a little bit more free-flowing. The, the athletes are getting better. There's no question about it. These guys are big. They're strong. They're fast. But um, – the game just isn't as physical as it was back when I played. So there's no question you could play in the NBA today because it's definitely not as physical. And I could definitely play in the NFL today for a long time because it's not as physical. He is truly one of the great quarterbacks to ever play the game. And uh, although relatively unsuccessful in the NFL postseason, five consecutive Grey Cups from 1978 to 1982, and that remains a CFL record, twice named Grey Cup MVP. But Warren, when you retired in 01 at the age of 44, did you have second thoughts about going back and playing in the league? You know, after my first year, I did. I, I uh, started to miss it. When I retired, I thought I was ready to, to give it up because I was tired of the off-season training. Mm-hmm. We, at that time, you had to go to OTAs. They had started those, those off-season training programs. And I'm living in Houston, but I was playing in Kansas City. They wanted me to come all the way back to Kansas City and stay there, you know, two, three months with these off-season programs. And I didn't want to do that anymore. So I didn't want to be away from my family because I had already been away from them for the whole season. So that's kind of why I decided maybe it's time for me to to give it up because I don't want to train anymore. And if you don't want to train anymore, uh, then it's time for you to give the game up because that's Mm. where – where you uh, get yourself prepared for the season. Everybody wants to play in the season. That, nobody misses the games, but you miss that training that it takes to get you ready for the games. And at 44, you know, it took a little bit more in the off season for me to get myself ready to play. So 
that that's the reason why I decided to leave the game. It had nothing to do with me physically or anything like that. It was just a logistics thing and also that desire. Once you lose it in your heart that you don't want to go out there and, and give it everything you got, it's time to move on. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that because you, you know when to say when, as they always say, right? You know, you, you always could play another year, but it ain't going to be a pretty year because of uh, – just your physicality of the game. It's like, right. a, I'll take it like an Aaron Rodgers now, whatever. He's, is he ready to retire or not? Is he going to be any good? He's got a strife and, and whatever they say, he looked good in, in, in the early preseason. But, you know, how do you determine in the field that you say, you, you know when to say when? It took me a couple of years. I've been, it's, it's fall time now, and I can smell this basketball season coming. I yeah. can just sense that it's, that way, the fall comes in Virginia, and I know it's time. October fifth is training camp. I can still feel that in my mind. I know you can still feel your body and mind saying, "Hey, it's football time." So, this time of year, what's that feel like for you when you see these guys playing? You know, you were a Hall of Fame player. Like this guy's a bum. You know, he can't play. I can play better than him. Did so. I, I look at it all the time in the NBA. Like you know, the NBA is weak, right? They 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 don't take any punches. They you can, can't hand check. You can't foul somebody hard. Just like quarterbacks, right? But uh, that, that field, what is that like? Because I know it's t- it was tough for me over when I retired. Like we had, I still wanted to play, but my body wouldn't let me. Yeah, you know, I I um I would feel that same thing when it got to be that time of year that you started to get the itch to get ready to go to training camp and all that, and um, you missed being around the guys. I think that's what I missed yeah. most. You know, you don't have that type of of second family anymore when you leave sports you know they were like your second family in some ways you spent more time with the guys on your team than you did with your own family because you're traveling with these guys all the time you're eating dinner with them you're showering with them you're doing everything with them playing games so you're almost closer to them sometimes than uh, than your own family so all of a sudden that's removed from your life uh it's a big adjustment for you now it's like where do i find you know my next little group of uh like a fraternity, you know, I don't, yeah. my next fraternity. So for me, I was able to, to get into broadcasting and, and, um, and do games. So that kept me around the game, which was great. And I could talk about it and uh, give my analysis of it. And that made the transition a little bit easier for me, but still physically, when you still feel like you can go out there and play, it, it makes it tough. But, um, as I got older, it was easier because now I'm starting to say, okay, I don't think I could go out there and play anymore. I know I can still throw the ball, but, my legs don't move like they used to. <laughs> I get killed out there if I try to play right now. So uh, I'm kind of over it now. But yeah, those first few years or so were tough. But the only thing that made it easier was the fact that I was around it every day. I was I was uh, watching practices. I was broadcasting games and uh, being able to talk about it and be around be around the whole atmosphere of football. Well, if you're like me, I didn't want to go home and change diapers. Because I played so long, mine were a little bit older than that when I retired. <laughs> <laughs> Warren Moon is our guest, one of the great to ever play in the uh, National Football League, all kinds of uh, records, and, you know, Pro Football Hall of Fame, Canadian Hall of Fame as well. Warren, I really, uh, I really admire you because after the Pac-8 title and the Rose Bowl win over Michigan – and, and the NFL is saying, no, we want you to change positions. And you tell your agent, look, and the quote was, I was born to play quarterback. I totally admire you for saying, I know my position. I played it a long time. I know I could play this in the NFL. I, I just admire you for that. Well, first of all, 
I, uh, I knew I could play the position because I had done it at every level, whether it was Pop Warner. I was good in Pop Warner. I was good in high school. I was one of the best in junior college. And then I was one of the best in college. So I knew I could play the position at a high level at every every uh, level that I played. Now it was just a matter of convincing the NFL the same thing. And I wasn't going to let them uh, take that opportunity away from me um, just because they weren't ready for it as far as, you know, the color of my skin and that type of thing. So I knew it was going to be difficult playing this position um, as a pro when I was a young kid because you just didn't see a lot of other African-American quarterbacks that looked like me out there on the field. You know, there was you know maybe two or three guys that were even getting a chance to play at all. So that part, I knew the journey was going to be difficult, but I, I just wanted to get an opportunity. And if I wasn't good enough, then you go ahead and cut me or, or maybe I would, would change positions. I doubt if I would have. I probably would have <laughs> gone to law school or something like that. But um, I knew I could play with the guys that were coming out at the same time as me. And, and all I wanted was that opportunity. And, and nobody wanted to give it to me except for the Canadian Football League. So that's why I decided to go to Canada. And, and I, I also said at the, at the time when I came out of college, that if, if there was a team in Siberia, I, I would have went there and played. They would have gave me a chance to play quarterback because that's what it was all about to me was playing that position, a position I had played since I was 11 years old and uh, had excelled at every level that I had played at. So I, there was no reason why I didn't think I couldn't excel at this next level. Most of the time, if you see pictures of me, I'm, I'm really, really focused and not a lot of laughing. I was dialed in. If I look back at my career and say, well, something I'd try and do a little bit differently, I'd try and be a little bit more loose playing the game, a little bit, have a little more fun doing it. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. This is Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Our guest is Hall of Famer Warren Moon, the outstanding quarterback with the Houston Oilers and the Vikings and the Chiefs and Seattle. Warren, when you were making the transition after the, the great run with Edmonton, the five great cups, when you were making the transition, was it difficult to stay in Seattle, hold the press conference there and announce that you were going to be a Houston Oiler? How difficult was that? It was a very difficult choice because uh, I had gone to school at the University of Washington uh, 15 minutes from where I was living. I was living in Seattle in the off season uh, when I was playing in Canada. So that was my off season home. My wife had a lot of friends and, and uh, you know, close relationships there. So she kind of wanted to stay in Seattle if it all worked out, but she left it to me to make the, the decision that I mm. wanted needed to make, you know, as far as playing football and the financial side of it. So uh, it was very tough. You know, Chuck Knox was the coach of the uh, Seahawks at that time. And I had, Followed him as a head coach with the uh, with the Rams when I was growing up in Los Angeles. So he was somebody that I really wanted to play for. Um, they had a really good team as well. But, you know, it was something about Houston. Um, I had already played six years. I didn't know how much longer I was going to play. So I, I wanted to make the best out of this financial opportunity as I could. And then the, the Houston coach at that time was my Canadian football league coach. They hired him right before they signed me. So that was a a big uh, feather in the cap too, as far as a guy that really knew me and knew my personality. Uh, it was going to be a rebuilding situation. No question about it. We knew it was going to be some tough lean years in the beginning, kind of like when I went to college, but um, we also knew that uh, we could get that thing turned around because we had done it before. So it was a tough decision, but I made the decision to go to Houston and uh, never looked back. The weather in Houston is a little bit better, say a little bit more radio, but, uh, but from a culture standpoint, 
Texas was a little bit different, right? It was like totally uh, different, totally different <laughs> culture. So, so talk about that a little bit because I, I experienced that. When they got to Houston, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's totally different. And I had to readjust to that like quickly. And I couldn't, it took me a minute to readjust. But what was it like for you? Because I know we had some similarities there because the culture in Houston was totally, totally different than anywhere else yeah. I've ever been. Like you said, Seattle much more liberal and, and, uh, you know, uh, all the relationships I already had. I didn't know a lot of people when I came to Houston at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're dealing with, you know, Texans. Exactly. When I went to my hotel room, the first day I, I checked in to come to town to sign my contract, there was a pair of boots in my closet. There was a big cowboy hat in my closet. I had the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Same big Texas hat. In my closet. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm not wearing this stuff. There's no way I'm wearing this stuff. I'm a tennis shoe guy, you know? And, uh, so, yeah, it was different. You knew you were in a, in a different uh, different state, no question about it. And But they were they were mad about football. They loved their football, and that's something that, that I'll always respect about Texans, that they were great football fans. But you also had to understand that you were in the South. And in the South, uh, it was a lot of racism, a lot of bigotry. And uh, you were you were looked at a little bit differently by certain groups of people. So that's something I had to get used to because I had never dealt with a whole lot of that before, um, especially living coming out of Los Angeles, California, where I grew up. You know, we had the likes of Osu guy, the Elvin Hayes and yeah. Caldwell Jones. So I had some great, great teammates. But one of the other guys that was uh, Kenny Houston, and played with the Oilers, and, and then Earl was there. But Kenny Houston, actually, his wife was my interior decorator at, at my house. So yeah. he took me aside from a Houston standpoint and kind of showed me the ropes before anybody did when I first got there. So it was good that he was there. I don't know he was around when you were there, but he, he might have played, but uh, I know you know him as well. No question about it. Still good friends with them to this day. Uh, Gusty Houston, his wife, uh, Kenny Houston was on our coaching staff at the time, so he definitely took me under his wing. There was a place where I could go and have dinner, right. be around a family atmosphere because I didn't have any. My family had moved here when I first got here. You know, they didn't come in until a couple of months later, and uh, I got a chance to meet all of uh, Gusty's sisters. You know, yeah. all, all of them. So they just really welcomed me to the city, and, and it was great to be able to have uh, you know somebody like that to, to get away from the football environment. And then when I got a chance to be around you and, and, the, and the Rocket players, because basketball is my favorite sport. If I, if I was good, if I was 6'5", I would have played. <laughs> I just didn't think I was going to be tall enough, so I chose football early. And, um, you know, I'm glad I did, but I still love basketball to this day and, and, and know it very well and follow it. And you saw me in your locker room all the time. I, mean, I, was, yep, just, yep, yep. I, was, a, I was a gym rat. You know, I love being around the game, even though uh, it wasn't a, a sport that I – you know, I excelled at. So having the Houstons and then having the the Rocket players and, and being able to go to those games was like a, a escape for me. It was, it was something that I needed, especially from all the pressures that I was dealing with being the quarterback of the Oilers at that time. You handled all the racism and all the stuff and the comments and you can't play quarterback and we can't have a black quarterback and it just doesn't have whatever you went through. You handled it with such class. Was that your father's influence at an early age, uh, your mom? I mean, where, how did you develop and how did you fight against all those racism comments with the class that you did? You know, it, it came from my mom. I, I get a lot of my, my strength uh, from her because, you know, my dad died when I was seven. So mm -hmm. I really didn't grow up with a dad and she became my dad and my mom at the same time. But she's the one that got me involved in sports so I could be around other boys, be around other men, you know, role models. Because I had six sisters. It was just six sisters and me. 
and I became the man of the house at a very early age, you know, at seven years old. So I, I grew up a little bit faster than I probably should have. Probably didn't have as much fun as a young kid as I should have, because I was so serious about everything. You know, I was serious about protecting my mom, serious about protecting my sisters. Um, and I knew my, for me to get out of where we lived in the, in the type of situation that we lived in, I had to make it. Um, so, so I, that made me more determined than ever to try and, um, you know, be successful uh, in a sport because I knew it wasn't going to happen in academics. I was a good student, but I wasn't going to get an academic scholarship out of high school. So I knew sports was going to be my way out of our, our living environment. So, you know, all those things were, were kind of on my back uh, as a young kid. But uh, my strength came from my mom because she could have folded when my dad died. But I watched how she she kept our family together. I watched how she made every penny count. I watched her go back to school and become a nurse um, so she could, you know, work, work a, a real job and, and make money for our family. So she, I watched her strength and I said, if she, if she can do that for us and sacrifice for us, that's the least I can do. And if I deal with tough situations, I always look back at her and saw how she handled things. And that was kind of my, kind of my motivator uh, going through all those tough times. Can you compare that era, I mean, I grew up in a small town, et cetera, et cetera, to today's things that's happening in, in, around the world, right? The George Floyd, the, the racism, the Black, Ma uh, Black Lives Matter. Obviously, we, 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 we didn't do that back then because you had Ali and Kareem and, and, and all of them come out a little bit, right, early in the 60s, whatever, but then it didn't carry on. But now it's a whole different ballgame, right? So is there any comparisons from that era? I didn't think about all the time to today. I think it was a little bit more closet, um, closet racism and bigotry back in the day where today people just come out and blatantly talk about it, you know. Warren, of course, and having to, you know, and having to put up with it and go through it and probably and probably hear it. And I know you told a story about, you know, having to explain things to your kids and what they were hearing in, inside the stadium, too. I mean, that that couldn't have been easy. No, not easy at all. You know, I had gone through some of that in college when I went to University of Washington. You know, I got booed a lot early because we weren't winning and that type of thing. And some of that became personal and racial, too. But uh, when I got to Texas, it's like, OK, I've gone through that as an 18, 19 year old. Mm. So I'm at this time now I'm 26, 27. So it's, it's, it doesn't bother me as much. But when you got young kids who have to sit in the stadium and, and listen to that and wonder why people are calling your dad those types of names. And, you know, he's coming to my locker after the game in tears. And I'm like it's okay. We, you know, we lost the game. We'll come back next week. It's like, no, that's not why I'm crying. And, and he tells you the reason why now all of a sudden you got to take off your football hat and change <laughs> it and try to explain to him what, you know, what this ignorance is all about that they're listening to. So I had to get a, a, a private suite the next year uh, so they could sit inside of a suite and become isolated from all that. And uh, that's how I dealt with it until things turned around. Then, once things turned around and we started winning, uh, that wasn't a problem anymore. But yeah, I had just thrown a touchdown pass. I go down on the bench, sit down, get a drink of water, and some guy behind the bench going, Moon, you, you're chucking that ball like you chuck a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, wow. <laughs> Ralph, when you look at the numbers, 10 years in Houston, 33,000 yards, 200 touchdowns. I think those are Hall of Fame numbers. As you go through your life, uh, even with your interactions with your friends, I think uh, trying to earn their respect. Everybody doesn't have to like you. Everybody doesn't have to love you. But you want people to respect what you do. And you want, we want people to respect who you are. 
and what you stand for. And, and that's what, what I was all about in my young career uh, coming up through the ranks, just trying to earn that respect from everybody. And I think I did that by the time my career was over. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. It's Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. I'm Mac McDonald with Ralph Sampson. Our guest is Hall of Famer Warren Moon, the outstanding quarterback for the Houston Oilers for 10 years and the great run in Canada. Warren, I know you're in Colorado to see the Eagles and uh, you know you like music of all kinds and I read where even at an early age that your father turned you on to jazz you really like all kinds of music don't you you know I, I really did you know my first album I ever bought as a young teenager was was a Grover Washington Jr. Mr. Magic that was the first album I ever bought wow. but, but he turned me on to, to jazz even at a younger age than that and uh, uh, you know Duke Ellington and Don Coltrane and all those guys uh, were somebody that was familiar to me as, as a five, six-year-old, you know? Um, so I really did love jazz. I listened to a lot of jazz when I was in college. Um, I even listened to it on my headphones before games a lot of times. People always wanted to know what I was listening to. And when I told them, they were totally shocked that I was listening to jazz as opposed to maybe some, you know, rap or hip-hop music trying to get me hyped up. I'm trying to listen to something that's going to calm me down and soothe me because I got to be the guy on the field that's got to have the little head. You know, I, I'm not going out there to knock anybody's brains out. I got to make decisions and I got to keep everything calm. So I'm listening to music just like that. Hey, I mean, back then, Mac, I mean, the guys the game have headphones on before the game on the court, whatever, the, the wireless, whatever. We, we we had a we had a big Walkman or something else there and a cassette player, right? But uh, <laughs> it's, it's totally changed. No, nobody wanted our playlist back in the day, right? We could have sold, we could go back and what is without playlist back in the 80s? But uh, music was a culture back then because the only thing I could do at that point in time was go buy an album, had a big stereo. We all probably had the same thing, and you had music before the game. So, you mentioned Grover Washington, and but we had Kurt Whalen back in the day in Houston as one of now the world-renowned jazz artists that, that actually was in Houston with us as well. But you know, it's similar because you know, football players want to be basketball players, basketball players want to be football players. But the music ties us all together in the way we think. I think about the game of sports. So glad to hear Grover. But the Eagles, how did the Eagles come in that in, into that realm? Because you go into a concert and it's going to be a three or four-hour concert, so you got to get ready for that. I listen to all different kinds of types of genres of music. I just love music, period. Whether it's jazz, it could be hip hop, it could be EDM, it could be country. I got really into country music when I was down in Houston. And uh, so it really didn't matter. So I, I loved all kinds of music. And I had older sisters when I was growing up and they were big into you know rock music and that when, when we were growing up. So I got exposed to the Rolling Stones, the Beatles and, and all those groups that were coming up in the 60s. When, uh, when I was a really young kid, but they were teenagers. So uh, I'm still to this day, I, I love all those those old groups. Um, I love entertainment, first of all, because I, I understand it and respect it. When you get up on that stage, you got to entertain people. It's just like when we went on, when you went on the court or I went on the field, we were entertainers. We had to entertain people, even though we were trying to win something, but we were still entertaining people. They were paying their hard earned dollars to go out there and watch us. So when I go watch a, a performance, I, I'm rooting for those guys to do well because I know what it takes to put on a performance like that. And uh, um, I just love live entertainment. It, it's nothing like it. I mean, Matt, you got to imagine the difference in the Oilers game. I don't know what they were playing before the game while you were in field, but we were playing Cotton Eye Joe. Uh, 
in Houston, and the, and the cheerleaders have boots on and stuff like that. I'm like, can I get some music before the game? That's why you're tuning out. But we had Cotton Eye Joe as one of our theme songs. We're like, oh, come on, let's, let's just figure this out. I can't, yeah. be- I can't believe you guys weren't Waylon Jennings and Hank Williams. I mean, come on. Oh. Cotton Eye Joe, man, that's crazy. Well, I, get, I used to, uh, Kurt Waylon, I guess, and I kind of look similar. So he used yeah. to always, yeah. like, thought he was me, and I People would ask me sometimes, are you Kurt Whalen? So uh, I, we had that in common as well. And I, I watched him perform, I don't know how many different times in Houston, especially at the old Arena Theater. And, and yeah. in some of course, um, one of the great jazz musicians during that time, no question about it. Warren, I know you've worked with some quarterbacks. I know you worked with Cam Newton. Why didn't you want to coach? You know, after doing it for 23 years, day in and day out, uh, I didn't want to – I didn't want to do something that where I had to be there every day. Coaching is is probably more of a commitment than it is as a player. Because at the end of the day, when the practice is over, the player goes and takes a shower and goes home. The coaches go right back in meetings and start watching film again and, and trying to, you know, trying to do whatever they can to make the team better. So I've, I've, I had so many coaches over the years that would tell me, you know, I don't even see my kids during the week until Friday. From mm-hmm. Monday to Friday, when I leave in the morning to go to work, they're asleep. When I get home at night, at midnight, they're asleep. So I don't see them until Friday to our work week kind of, kind of slows down a little bit. And that just didn't appeal to me because I had been enough away from my family enough as it was. I didn't want to be away from them even more mm-hmm. uh, as, a, as a coach. So that's why I did a little bit more individual coaching, but uh, never wanted to get into that full day-to-day uh, routine. And I have a lot of respect for coaches because when you get into it, it's a full-time commitment. Yeah, so it sounds like I know we've got some similarities there. So, so the sport that we love in play since we were little. But what has been the most impactful thing after? Because I know you've done some ventures and things all over the country. But what are some things you're doing now? But what's been some of the most impactful things you think you've accomplished after after you finished playing? You know, I, um, I started a foundation back in 1989. And, uh, you know, I was named man of the year back then um, in the NFL. And that's probably the biggest honor that I, I achieved um, because it's, it's an honor that, not only honors you on the field as a football player, but also honors what you do in your community. So uh, we started a scholarship program way back then and to provide these scholarships to kids to go to college and try and give them an opportunity to be successful is probably the, one of the most impactful things that I've done since I uh, started playing the game. And, and, and since I've, since I've uh, finished playing the game, we're still doing the same thing. Uh, we, we have five more kids to go to college this, this year, a uh, very, very good class. And, uh, when those kids come back after finishing college and thank you for, you know, for giving that up, them that opportunity to be successful. And then they go back into their communities and maybe help some other young kid as well. That's, that's when you know what you're doing is, is the right thing. Yeah. And when, and when you were inducted into the hall of fame, you had the feeling that this is the way I was going to work with people. And you, you centered on almost one word and one topic and it was respect. And how important respect was, which again turns probably just that's the way you lived your life, even though it was a hard time with the, with all the racist remarks and everything. But respect was a big word for you, wasn't it? You don't have to like me, you don't have to love me, but at least respect me and respect what I do. And um, if I'm not doing the job, then you let me know. But I'm going to give you everything I got, and I'm going to be uh, classy about it. Um, I'm going to represent you well. And I'm going to give you everything I've got as far as a player. And if you can't respect that, then there's something wrong with you. So, yeah, respect was something that I was always looking for, especially being 
you know, an African-American in a position where it just wasn't, you know, many other. When I came into the NFL at 84, I was the only African-American starting quarterback. Yeah. And the only other quarterback in the league at that time was our third string quarterback, Brian Ransom. There was no others in the NFL because Doug Williams was in the USFL. Right, right. Um, Vince Evans was in the USFL. All the other guys had gone to the USFL. Then when it folded, they came back to the NFL. So I was by myself, and there was a lot on my shoulders. So I was I was trying to gain that respect so that next generation of young guys were going to get more of an opportunity. I knew if I played well, Doug knew if he played well, Randall Cunningham, who came into the league in 85, if he played well, then we were going to maybe open the doors for some of these other young guys to start getting their, their chances, and they did. Yeah, Randall Cunningham, man. I mean, he, he could dance in the backfield run. He was the first, you know, really uh, guy that could throw it but run as well. But Doug Williams set the mark, and you set the mark as well. So uh, that's a very good class, and all those guys were very special when they played. So it's just amazing to see the evolution of the today's quarterback, right? Uh, you got the Ravens, you got the Tennessee, you got – um, in Seattle, we got multiple quarterbacks now that are half Americans in the league. Who do you think is the best out there now? Who, who would you, if you had to draft somebody, who would you draft today in a quarterback this plan? Man, that's a good question. I mean, there, like you said, there's so many. I think we had 10 or 11 to start on, on yep. uh, day last week. You know, Pat Mahomes is a guy that's been off to a great start, and uh, he's already won MVP, he's already won a Super Bowl MVP, and he went to a second Super Bowl but lost. So he would probably be the guy that I would want to start uh, a franchise with because the kid is just amazing as far as his talent. Uh, he's a great competitor. Um, I love Deshaun Watson. You know, I know he's going through some problems right now personally, but uh, another guy that can really do it all. Uh, he can run, throw. He's smart. Uh, you look at Russell Wilson, what he's been able to do in his career since he's been in the league. Just consistent is all get out. He's been to and won a Super Bowl. So there, there's so many, man, there, and I'm really proud of the fact that there are so many and they're all doing well, they're being paid well, they're, they're doing endorsements. And then the thing that makes me more proud of them is they're using their voices for, for social change and social justice. And, and that's something that's very important because they carry a lot of weight in the communities they, that they live in and, and play in. So I'm glad they're using that, that power that they have. So Warren, with all the travel, the music, keeping up with your family, I, I, I've got to ask, are you still baking chocolate chip cookies? <laughs> Don't make them like I used to, but everybody's always on me about them. But uh, I, still, I still have that ability to do it. I just don't spend as much time doing it anymore. It was a lot of fun when I had them. Warren, it's it's been a pleasure and and to spend some time with you and, and the conversation. It's been really great. I just want to wish you all the best and 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 I hope you continue to enjoy life. But boy, embrace what you have meant to people and embrace everything you did for the National Football League. Okay, take care. Be safe, travel safe. The great Warren Moon, who put number one on his jersey for a reason. He wanted his teammates to gather around and say, hey, this is what we're striving for. Always thinking about the team. More with Ralph Sampson in center court when we come back after these words. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. 
great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Welcome back to the Winter Circle Network and Center Court, Ralph. It was uh, it was so special uh, to have your friend and and really a guy that meant so much to the National Football League. Uh, I know at the top you talked about Doug Williams. Uh, Doug Williams was in the first round. He was drafted in the first round in '78. Do you remember the Super Bowl question that Doug Williams got when when he took Washington to the Super Bowl? The writer asked Doug Williams, and I quote, "How long have you been a black quarterback?" <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, think about that, Mac. I was 78, I mean, whatever. I mean, my yeah. dad's an avid, avid wrestling fan. And uh, in our basement, he had a Doug Williams picture that I had signed and a Charlie Taylor picture that I had signed for him about on that, the wall right? downstairs. And he, I mean, even to the day, I mean, he, you know, obviously they changed the name from the Redskins to the Washington football team. But he still has his Redskins hat, jersey, and everything else. Well, he still thinks of his Redskins, which is fine. But think about it. in today's world, from a war moon to a Doug Williams, that you know, an African American quarterback wasn't heard of, right? But he had all this talent, but he wasn't heard of. But today it's much more prevalent. And you have the Michael Vicks of the world. You have it's going now. It goes on and on and on, right? There's right. more, more, more there. But uh, the challenges that Warren and Doug had to go through had to be kind of crazy. That you had to prove yourself. And we talked about it early in the opening that Warren, you know, all the accolades and the, the great cups and stuff in Canada. I mean, you, you, you go up there and still continue to prove yourself, and it takes you to your 27, 28 years old to become a national football quarterback. And then you go and prove yourself and become a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So the story is, is great. Pretty special. Yeah. I used to talk, he used to talk about his fingernails and his, yeah. team, his teammates, because like a pitcher, his fingernails had to be perfect. And they said when he threw a football, it had such a special sound when it came out of his hand. Boom. Boom, it just yeah. and, and the spiral was so tight. They said nobody could throw a football like Warren Moon. You know, yeah, and, the velocity uh, on this. I mean, I've got the velocity on the power they had because you know he's not a six foot five guy. He's like he's well put together. He reminds me of, of a Russell Wilson. Yeah, uh, exactly. Sure yeah, he told he told his agent. The agent said, "I'm not so sure the team uh, NFL teams are going to pass on you unless you change positions." And Warren Moon said, "Look, I was born to play." quarterback and uh the the rest is the rest is history well coming up next week you've got that little basketball tournament coming up in harrisonburg at the horizons edge sports campus i know you're looking forward to it and you still got room right for a couple of teams we got room for a couple more teams in a couple of areas so you got out there that want to participate please do go to horizon edge sign up today and um, we'll see you next weekend all right i'm not letting you get away until i get a restaurant update either uh. <laughs> well, Mike, I was I was I was there this week and um, still working on the construction. The sound guys were in there putting up, uh, testing the sound, putting up all the uh, devices for the sound. So that should be in. And I'm still waiting on some decor. It's, it's the shell is ready to go. And now we're just waiting for the products to come in. And you know, these days with the pipeline and the process and the strategy, you, you got to wait for stuff to come. So. Hopefully next week we'll start the uh, the, the, the continue to build out 
TVs will be in and the air will be in. That's no, the fun part. That's, that's, the, fun part to start that's the fun part. And for yeah. those, who, yeah, for those who haven't heard, it's called the Ralph Sampson American Tap House. I got that right, right? So you got that right. Yeah. And anyway. I'll start posting more. I'm, I'm a, I took pictures. I'll start posting more on Facebook and all the social media channels, but uh, you'll see the before and after soon. Ooh, I gotta, I gotta see those. Hey, it's been a great week. Next week we get a name, image, and likeness with a with an NBA agent, but a guy who is already working with college athletes. He is from Orlando. His name is Dan Morgan. We will talk to him next week and we will break down name, image, and likeness. Looking forward to that. For Ralph Sampson, I'm Mac McDonald. Have a terrific week and we'll see you right here on Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.